Boom, shakalaka, shaka, boom, shakalaka, shaka. Welcome to Books Where Two Guys Tell You About the Books They're Reading. I am Rob Olson. <laughs> that weird. Be a, that's, yeah, okay. I just, <laughs> just wanted to see if I could throw you off. Just didn't know if you were having some type of identity crisis and you weren't really <laughs> sure. Or, I mean, it's okay if you are, dude. We need to talk about it. Yeah, this is Seth last week was talking about Ob Rolson and I got myself all confused. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. No kidding. Hey, if you haven't listened to that, uh, we can't call it an interview, that, uh, that, that time we spent with Seth Harwood. You should totally do that after listening to this episode. And um, we have made some decisions. Look forward to more of that type of thing coming your way very, very shortly. Yeah, shortly and in high quantity. That's right, in bulk. Bulk. This is like the Sam's Club of podcasts. Costco, Mm -hmm. bulk purchase. Yeah, sorry. Indeed. (laughs) <laughs> Something really weird is happening at the podcast. Um, so I want to I want to uh, set listeners up for this. Typically, one of us, and I'm not saying just Rob, because sometimes it's me. Like just hours before we record an episode, is is desperately trying to finish a book. Um, when I do it, it's typically planned that way. I, I, mean, I can't speak for Rob. I don't know what his methodology is. Planned would um, be generous. <laughs> But we're in like the oddest position, right? Because we essentially have the next book we're reviewing already read. Um, by you know, by the time people hear this, we'll both have had it read. Mm-hmm. And now it's weird because I am even a book further because I've started reading another book. So it, it, I have to I have to rein it in a little bit because it's getting tougher to remember. <laughs> you know, because this is now for me three books ago, right, or two books ago, I guess that um, I'm reading. So. Tonight we are going to be reviewing the very hyped Woman <laughs> in the Window, which uh, matches the the latest trend of a female um, in something. So the girl on the train, and there was another one. What was the what was the other one that we reviewed? Oh, um, the Drowning Girl, but that doesn't count, right? Because it was older. No, that just um, had girl in the title. Any rate. What was the other one? I do believe the people who it was the one about the girl who um, um, lives in that house. She she moves in. They move into that how the super high tech house, and then her and her husband. Oh split yeah, up. the girl before. Yes, the girl before, and yeah. now uh, the, the we have now decided the girl is the wrong um, term. So these are now women. So now the woman in the window by AJ Finn. You probably knew that AJ was a man, I'm assuming, right? Because you got a copy from the publisher? Um, yes. So is this picture like plastered all over the, the insert? No, it's not. But um, and, and there's not an author photo in the book. Okay. Uh, AJ is definitely a man. Um, and like I said, if you Google him, he likes having his picture taken. So it shows up quite a bit, uh, which uh, was, was a, I don't know, it's a little weird. It's a little weird, and I, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll talk about it. But. Let's let's tread lightly on on criticizing the author. Remember what happened with Edgar Cantero? He oh, listened, he heard it. <laughs> yeah, he, that's true. He heard that you shit true. talking his haircut. That, that is very, but he fixed it. <laughs> he so, did. He did. Yeah. So um, AJ, now uh, uh, rain it rain it in on the photos, dude. We get it. Yeah, lay off uh, the you're, selfies. You're, you're a handsome young young lad. Uh, <laughs> We got it. But I was actually surprised because I totally assumed that this book was by a woman. I didn't find out AJ was a, a man until it's probably like two thirds of the way into the book. And it just popped up somewhere on social media or whatever website I was on because this book is all over the place right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess I can tell you a little bit about the author, AJ Finn, who we know is yeah. a man. 
let's let's do that. The man uh, in in the in the anyway. AJ Finn has written for numerous publications, including the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, and the Times Literary Supplement in the United Kingdom. A native of New York, Finn lived in England for ten years before returning to New York City. Um, a little postscript: AJ Finn has a nearly Frank Bill um, author bio. Not necessarily as short, but short in a way that is good. Uh, to be fair, uh, and this is for anybody who listened to our <laughs> previous I, on Amazon, I'm pretty sure that he actually hired Seth Harwood to write his bio because oh, it's like no. six paragraphs long. I apologize, Seth. You do not have oh. the longest bio I've ever seen because AJ Finn does, <laughs> at least on Amazon. Well, you got a, the book jacket. You got there's like a limited space on the Internet. This is true. Unlimited. This is true. So um, uh, while we're on the subject, I guess we should uh, get this out of the way. You should go now and check out Seth Harwood's bio. Somehow, magically, it has been. Uh, <laughs> it is now rating a 4.5 out of 5 stars by Booked Standards. Wait, um, does it does it mention the Booked Anthology? It does not. That's where Three, the half star goes. Oh, I was going to say 3.5 stars. Yes. Yeah, okay. so, at any rate. <laughs> um, yeah, that is a, a nice, concise uh, bio for, for Mr. Finn. Here is the synopsis. It isn't paranoia if it's really happening. Anna Fox lives alone, a recluse in her New York City home, unable to venture outside. She spends her day drinking wine, maybe too much, watching old movies, recalling happier times, and spying on her neighbors. Then the Russells move into the house across the way, a father, a mother, their teenage son. The perfect family. But when Anna, gazing out her window one night, sees something she shouldn't, her world begins to crumble, and its shocking secrets are laid bare. What is real? What is imagined? Who is in danger? Who is in control? It's an awful lot of questions. That was me interjecting there. In this diabolically gripping thriller, no one and nothing is what it seems. Twisty and powerful and genius in moving, The Woman in the Window is a smart, sophisticated novel of psychological suspense that recalls the best of Hitchcock. How much uh, Hitchcock are you familiar with? When I was a child, I watched a lot of the Alfred Hitchcock TV show. Yeah. Uh, like weekly half hour murder mysteries and stuff. Um, not much at all of his actual films. Gotcha. Yeah, I really don't know much of the body of work of Hitchcock, but that seems like that's a strong claim to to be making. Like a heavy, you know, like big shoes to fill. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of weird though, because all he did was movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, I mean, comparing books to movies is always uh, difficult because it, obviously it's a very different medium. Yeah. Um, but also uh, the uh, amount of story that goes into a novel versus uh, the amount of story that, you know, 90 minutes lends itself to on a screen is uh, is vastly different. Yeah, I don't know enough. Um, I will say that from what I remember of the Alfred Hitchcock mystery TV show, and I, I don't know, I, I doubt he wrote those or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, this kind of fits, I guess. Hmm. Well, there's some acclaim. I'm, I'm going to before we get to start, ta- start talking about the, the book itself. um so William Morrow sent me um, a review copy, so I have a print edition, which means I have the book with the the dust jacket and everything, which means I can see the blurbs that they put on it, which usually, like, when you're looking at an electronic book, you just don't really pay attention to, but um, some big names, so there's one, two, three, six, um, I know how to count, I just skipped counting four and five, there's six um, quotes on the back, and amongst them are Gillian Flynn, Joe Hill, and Stephen King. So some heavy hitters. 
Yeah, agreed. Um, they are so excited about all those blurbs that if you go to the Amazon page, <laughs> I was unable to find a synopsis <laughs> for the book. This is no joke. I need to explain this. I know we got to get into our review. Instead, there are um, like screenshots that match the cover yeah. with those blurbs on it. So I was like, that's okay. I'll just Google it. Um, so after sifting through the synopsis for the movie The Woman in the Window, which is a 1944 film noir, um, I found the William Morrow. Was it William Morrow page? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I was trying to. Yeah. So the publisher's page. And there's not a synopsis on the publisher's page either. Instead, there is just a ton of of uh, blurbs. So really, they don't want you to know what the book is about. And that's that's not me. That's not me channeling um, DJ Khaled or discussing uh, Dr. They from the X-Files. That's literally saying I'm pretty sure William Morrow has no interest in you knowing what this book is about. They just want you to buy it based on the blurbs. I mean, when Gillian Flynn, when the when when Stephen King and his son both blurb it how could you not buy it right i guess i don't know, I don't know. this is for the stephen king crowd i mean i definitely see it for I, I and i still haven't seen and or red gone girl but i understand that this is probably somewhat similar the thriller um, yeah. suspense yeah. kind of thing yeah so i guess uh, yeah. i take her word for it but yeah this doesn't strike me as stephen king territory even after reading it yeah yeah so, I guess we could talk about the book. So, the Let's book does do focus that. around, um, it's, is it entirely, I think it's entirely first person, right? If I remember correctly? It is, yes. Yeah. Uh, from the perspective of the protagonist, who is Anna Fox, who, as you got from the synopsis, um, is a recluse. And um, we discover early on um, that Anna is suffering from agoraphobia, so cannot go into open spaces. Or even, like, I think in some cases, be aware of them. Kind of in a way, like it, it makes her very nauseous and nervous and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, we are introduced to a character who, in a very seemingly benign way, um, because she can't go outside, spends her day kind of keeping tabs of what's going on um, with the, the, the people in the houses that are, you know, directly visible uh, around her. And I noticed that it started out with like, kind of a, a little bit of a red herring with um, one of the first neighbors that we see you um, she's talking about how like you, she is witness to an an almost discovery of of an affair that's happening like and it's a little bit suspenseful in that moment and so like you're thinking oh she's gonna witness something crazy with this family and ultimately that doesn't end up being like the focus of the story so from the very beginning it's it's a little bit trying to like ramp up the tension and the suspense I, um, I thought I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, they're really hitting the ground running. And I was really glad they didn't expose the, the thing that's happening. Um, in, on like page four, I was glad that it took a, yeah. a little, little yeah. time to roll out. So yeah, we spend, um, a, a good portion, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe the first quarter of the book, give or take. Yeah, that's fair. Um, just learning about her life. So what she does, um, her, uh, so she is, a little backstory she is separated from her husband and her daughter um olivia her husband um ed um but still talks to him pretty frequently but uh it, it takes a while to unravel how she developed agoraphobia but but definitely it would seem that uh that this is uh, the reason that she's no longer with her family 
Um, but she's kind of working her way through it. She has a therapist. He visits or, or he, she has a, a, I guess a psychiatrist, when I say therapist, that type of therapist that visits once a week. She has a physical therapist that's helping her get over an injury. Um, she has a, a very convenient tenant that helps uh, do things for her since she can't leave the house. And we learn a lot about like having groceries delivered and stuff like that. So we kind of see her day-to-day life, and that is um, consists of watching old movies, as it mentioned in the synopsis. Um, spends a lot of time on an agoraphobia website, um, kind of helping other people uh, through the process. And uh, she uses a lot of the tactics um, that she learned, and we get some backstory on her. She was a child psychologist. Uh, prior to her inability to leave the house. Yeah. So, um, and, um, the other thing that, that she spends time with is playing chess online. So agoraphobia website where she helps using her psychologist, like, you know, background, like Livia said, but then also playing chess online. And, um, apparently if you're going to be, it would be a voyeur, right? Um, in this modern, you don't own binoculars. You just get like a, fancy camera and you watch people through that and take pictures of them and stuff. So we learned that like she has essentially like a hard drive that is accumulating photos of all of the different neighbors. And so she could basically tell you a story of, uh, you know, this family here and that family there and who the family that was there before, um, from memory, but also like with the, the pictures that are accumulating, which is, kind of like steps up the creepy a little bit. Like I I'm all about, you know, just a casual, Oh, I wonder what's going on over there. But like, once you start like secretly documenting it, that adds like, I think a layer of intention to, to what you're doing. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there are, we, we've all lived near or known, um, you know, busy bodies, right. The, the people that, that you can always see kind of paying attention when you're coming in and out or you're talking to the neighbor and they can tell you about all the other neighbors and stuff. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying that the fact that she snaps photos does, does lend itself a little bit to the stalker, um, part of that. So, yep. Um, so as the synopsis mentioned, the Russells move in across the street, um, Anna meets the son, uh, gets a little bit of you know information on the family from him, and then uh, the mother comes over. So Anna winds up. I guess we should set this up. She really can't leave the house, and uh, of course, through the course of the story, um, I, I fully expected that she would not leave the house until the very final scene. You know that that would be the buildup, like that right. she would have to do something. But instead, she goes outside to chase some kids who are throwing eggs at her house. Um, and, and has a, a, you know, essentially a, a crippling uh, reaction to doing that. And then she is helped by Ethan's mother, so by Jane Russell, back into her home uh, where they spend uh, an evening together. Uh, was it that evening? I don't know. Anyway, she does get yeah. to know her over the course of an yeah, that's evening when. where they, they drink and, and a bunch of, uh, you know, they talk about their lives and stuff. So she winds up uh, having a really warm and fuzzy feeling about this woman because as somebody who's only really visited by her her doctor and her physical therapist, she doesn't really have um, real-life friends that come visit her. Yeah, and that's been, um, like, you get the feeling that that's been the the kind of status quo is she's got the people in her life that are absolutely necessary to kind of, like, the you know, the forward progression of just being alive, like the people that she needs in order to just like, you know, exist and has no contact with anybody else. So like, 
now the contact with the son who brings uh, a candle as like a gesture, um, like a, Hey, we're new in the neighborhood. Here's a candle kind of thing from the mother. Um, and, uh, like having a night kind of getting to know the, the wife, mother, Jane Russell, this takes her totally off script. And so where, where before she was just kind of, um, observing now she's interacting and, um, that's where before we thought like this affair, like your, your, your impression of versus this affair that she witnesses is going to be like the kicking off point. It's when she starts to interact with the Russell family that, you know, she goes off of her normal kind of, uh, you know, like rhythm and things start to get weird. So not long after Jane Russell visits and, um, Anna starts to become more interested in, you know, involved with the Russell family, she witnesses something pretty dire. And I think it's early enough in the book, and I'm sure Livius would agree, that we can say um, she witnesses a murder. That she does. Um, we didn't really talk about her kind of, I don't want to say abusing medication. She was more just neglectful, like she'd take too many of her pills or she wouldn't take them at all. And she had kind of this weird thing yeah. with the alcohol and stuff. So we have what is kind of an unreliable narrator <clears throat> witnessing a murder. And uh, really, I, I think beyond that, you know, we can kind of talk some general character stuff. But from a plot standpoint, that's where shit gets real in Anna's life. And that's where the, the real action kicks off um, yeah. in this book. Yeah, it's um yeah, from this point like all the build up has been to witnesses the murder and now it's like the rest of the book carries through um filling in the gaps of like what happened and what she does about it and and the inevitable kind of conclusion of all the the chaos that ensues. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a little bit of a of a, and I hate to say this because I'm not a psychologist or whatever, but it does become a character study for somebody who has um, very significant emotional problems and is faced with some, you know, some challenges. Right, the inability to leave your home, the the, you know, you're you're essentially cut off from from friends and family. I mean, she doesn't, like I said, at least in 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 person, has no real contact with anybody that's not there because, you know, just because of her illness or outside of the, you know, being there for her illness. So it really is a, a little bit of a sad, um, often sad look at, at a life that, you know, is kind of, uh, tainted by tragedy, I guess. So, um, agoraphobia, uh, although I joke and say, man, that sounds fantastic. Like I'd love to never leave the house. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's it's pretty nasty. I mean, I can't imagine. You know, Robin said before, um, you were kind of saying that. What did you say? Something about not just being in open spaces, but the idea of them, or right, something. Right, like being aware of them, or yeah, yeah, like open doors. Like if there's a door open to the outside, she freaks out. Yep. Like the windows in her house haven't been open in a year because just having open windows is is you know can can throw her into a panic. So it's uh yeah it, it, it's sad, but yeah on top of that you've got um, alcoholism. And essentially drug abuse. So you've got somebody who's pretty fucked up and she's our narrator. Yeah. And that's where um, I was going to kind of refine a point that we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier. Livius had mentioned that this is an unreliable narrator um, because we're seeing everything from Anna's perspective. Um, Anna already knows everything that got her to this point, um, but we don't. And so there is a conspicuous lack of, um, details 
about why is this person agoraphobic? Why are they split up from their husband and things like that, that are filled in very, very, very slowly over the course of the book. And it's obviously intentional because otherwise the story wouldn't work. But there's a lot of information we don't know. And as that information is revealed, you know, the picture becomes clearer and it maybe becomes a picture that's different than we expected. Yeah. And I, I liked um, I really liked the slow reveal of of the, you know, the the incident. And we know there's an incident pretty yeah. early on. I mean, that's there is one thing that happened that, that caused this. So um, I was OK with the slow reveal. I thought it built up some some tension, excitement, like you flip a page, you'd be like, all right, good. We're back to this. How much more information are we going to get? Yeah. Um, so I thought that worked well. Um, other yeah. than that, I don't know. There's, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the neighbors, right? So we've got Ethan, who's a uh, really just, you know, nice kid who who's in, uh, who's kind of a, fearful of the situation he's in. You've got his dad, Alistair, who's uh, kind of an asshole, maybe is abusive. You know, it seems like he could be. Um, you know, you've got the, David, the kind of mysterious tenant who doesn't talk very much. Um, and, and these people, their roles in this story kind of um, evolve and, and twist and stuff th- throughout the course of, of the book. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that's all we could talk about for plot other than, you know, you know some of the, um, the online stuff. Or uh, <laughs> Well, there's one thing that I'd like to talk about. It is like the changing. So <laughs> I wrote down some characters in our notes and I wrote down the word tenant. <laughs> And I noticed that you changed the spelling of it. And I'm wondering if that has anything to do with the fact that it's David is the tenant. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Okay. All right. But look, just... Okay. So, all right. So I know, I know <laughs> listeners can't see us, but I want you to see something fairly interesting. All right. Does, is that a squiggly little line? Yeah. So yeah. you spelled tenant wrong, which you didn't. Right. 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 Now, right click on it and see what the correction is. That's weird. Yeah, it even knows that David Tennant, the the actor, is more important than a, some guy named David that lives in your basement. Oh, all right, all right. Well, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's <laughs> just let's throw that out there. Um, yeah, uh, there's yeah, there's really not all the good stuff is going to be in spoiler talk. I guess is all I'm going to say about this. Yeah, and I mean, if you're familiar with any of the books that we mentioned, that slew of kind of thriller books, that that's that's all of them, right? They're twisty, turny, and the real interesting details. And again, I've not seen a red gone girl, but if you have, imagine trying to explain that to someone spoiler free. Like, how fun of a story is that? It's probably yeah. not. Um, yep. So, I don't know. Are we ready to go over to spoiler talk? Yeah. All right, so spoiler talk for anybody who might be a new listener or um, have not been uh, encouraged enough yet for only $1 a month, you'll be able to hear bonus content over on Spoiler Talk, which is uh, exactly what we say. It's where we go to talk about the things we can't talk about here because we'd be spoiling it for people who want to read the book. So a minimum of $1 a month gets you Spoiler Talk. We've been doing it more and more. We're doing it this book. I guarantee you we're doing it the next book we read. Yeah. Um, because I've already finished it. I know there's things I want to talk about. <laughs> We're not going to talk about it on the podcast here. So um, that's it. I, I know I keep saying we'll be back. But uh, just so you know, there is a period of time that will disappear from the middle of this podcast where Rob and I will be talking about cool shit you can't hear if you're not a Patreon contributor. Yeah, you got to be a Patreon contributor. So um, we'll be back in literally a half a second. We're back from um, another edition of Spoiler Talk where Rob and I found that uh, – some of the twists and turns in this book um, duped both of us, or in like like I he figured out all the things I didn't, and essentially vice yeah. versa. <laughs> so, yeah, if we had some sort of psychic link, 
Yeah. We would have figured it all out together. The whole thing. But we did agree on some of the things that were not so good. Um, (laughs) And and, and when I say that, I don't really feel that they affected the the book overall. But there were some some things that uh, probably should have been handled differently or better. Um, But they're all very, very key to the story. So know that both of us had some issues with some things that we're not going to talk about because it would be way too spoilery. Yeah, so um, I can start wrap-ups. Let's do that. Cool. So um, I want to say, first of all, how this book came into our um, uh, our lives was, uh, like I said before, William Morrow sent a review copy of it. We just kind of get stuff sent to us. And I'm never expecting, we've talked about this on the podcast, I'm never expecting it to be something that we'll actually like choose to read because it's like Christian fiction or something weird like that or like some guy fishing it's like the same basically as like the things that people reach directly out to us for um a total not fit but um i had this one in the pile and i kept seeing it pop up on uh social media posts from people that i actually um respect (laughs) like that they were looking forward to reading it and i was thinking wait a minute i have that book so i suggested it to livia says like if we needed to fill a spot we have this book and so that's kind of how we got here um before starting the book I'm looking at the book jacket, and it says Astounding, Thrilling, and Amazing by Gillian Flynn. Um, Joe Hill says Compelling, Wrenching, and Gasp for Breath, Exciting. I was blown away. Stephen King says Remarkable, totally original. And so I was thinking, like, this could be... I mean, it's obviously... And then, like I was talking about before, that little insert that comes with it, um, it says in huge red letters in the very beginning, the most widely acquired debut novel of all time, 2017 Book Expo Buzz panel selection, soon to be a major motion picture from Fox 2000 Studios, and to be published in 38 territories worldwide. So obviously, somebody out there thinks that this book is kind of a big deal. And we have never been ahead of the, like, I don't think we've ever really been ahead of the, the hype, right, Livius? No, we, we, we have not. <laughs> So it's like, well, let's we're t- behind the hype usually. <laughs> so we'll take a shot with this one. Maybe this is the one where we'll have a review that's like ahead of or or during like key hype. Um, that's why we're reading it, or that's why we read it, I guess. So that's what I. That's the hype I had going into this, and I was think, I was I was really trying to temper my expectations of it. That being said, I think tempering my expectations was a good idea because I actually ended up really enjoying this book. I didn't I didn't expect it to be everything that Stephen King and Joe Hill said it was going to. Um I really was just hoping for like not being disappointed and I wasn't disappointed. I thought it was I thought it was a good story and I thought that of all of the things and a lot of things happened in this book, of all the things that happened in this book, only a couple of them really didn't work for me and they weren't really that important to the overall story. I like the characters, I like the twists a lot and um it read really easy. Short chapters, lots of dialogue, so it had a very good pace to it. So all the elements of a book that you're looking for, I feel like all worked for me. And uh, and so I'm really not going to say much more about it. I thought it was a good book, and I'm going to give it three and a half stars. Before I did this podcast, I read a lot of this kind of stuff. And by this kind of stuff, I mean, like, you know, just top fiction, highly blurbed, um, whatever. So this is this is definitely the um, the the airplane bookstore book. It's uh, on every table. Sure. Yeah, it's on every table at the front of every single bookstore that you go into. 
And that's okay. I don't hold that against books um, because, uh, you know, every once in a while you get something that's fairly original and that uh, that that works. And and I think this worked. Uh, I want to pick out. I was looking through to see if I had any notes or highlights of any importance. I couldn't believe that a book released in, um, I guess, last month, right? Or was it last month, this month? Whatever. In 2018, we'll call it generically that the uh, character mentions that the person doesn't have any social media accounts, not even a Foursquare. Do you remember Foursquare from like 10 years ago? <laughs> uh, I remember making fun of Foursquare. Right. So at any rate, so yeah, negative half star for that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it worked for me. It kept me guessing. Um, I had a, a percentage of the stuff figured out, which is oddly enough, always rewarding to have some of it figured out, but not all of it. So you feel good about yourself. But then you're still surprised by some of the twists, and there are a lot of twists. Uh, I, I liked um, Anna as a character. Um, I liked her more the more flawed she became uh, through the course of the story. So, and and it, she's our narrator, right? So it's important that you like that person if you're going to enjoy the book. Um, I, I thought that he really wrote his way out of um, a lot of things that that, that could have been very problematic. I don't know what to say. You know, is it a great book? No, I don't think it's a great book. Is it a book that a lot of people are going to read and enjoy? Absolutely. I, I'm one of them, and I'm going to go a little bit higher than Rob on this. I'm going to go four stars. That was a little bit higher. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, if I would definitely recommend this book to people. Like, you know, it's a nice casual read. Well, th that's the thing. This is the book that you could recommend to anybody, right? So right. we talk about catering recommendations to people, and we're not horror mavens or librarians who try to suss out, you know, what people are going to enjoy about a book. But I, I'm, I'm, I can't think of somebody where I wouldn't, you know, if I didn't even know anything about their taste, they'd be like, "Hey, what's something good that you read recently?" I'd say, <clears throat> "Read the Woman in the Window. You'll like that." Yeah, totally. I just want listeners to know that we just took a brief time out. Because it, it, and and our, a lot of our listeners may not know this is a thing. So Rob says, "Hey, hey, hold on a second. Someone's trying to trade beer with me. I want to say that really clearly so people understand what he's saying." So Rob, um, and we've talked about on the podcast, you know, uh, not a lot, but it comes up pretty frequently, right? So Rob has a fetish for for beers that you know you you can't buy at like your local grocery store like you have to go to like special events into the breweries and stuff and he actually trades these like baseball cards with other people which is fucking fascinating i mean fetish means that there's some sort of sexual component i think which is definitely not the case um but yeah like um beers especially like are we gonna go into this sure all right especially beers that are uh barrel aged um because of like what goes into making that type of beer, typically they are limited release. So if you're not there when it's released, um, but they do age well, so you can have, you know, a beer that you bought that's barrel aged for years and years and years. I was reading somewhere the other day, someone just drank um, a beer that they got in like 1997. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, so oh, it ages. sounds like it would be terrible. And now yeah. is that because of the barrel aging process that it, it will hold longer than, you know, I don't know, like Miller Genuine Draft? Um, it, it has, well, there's factors. So the, the barrel aging, um, typically if it's barrel aged, it's a higher alcohol content and the higher alcohol content oh, beers sure. typically age better. Uh, but it's also like the composition of what you're, you know, brewing. 
oddly enough, people with higher alcohol content do not age don't as age. well as people with lower <laughs> alcohol content. So I don't, I'm not sure how that, how that, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, so anyway, uh, yes, we did take a little break from recording for Rob to, to respond to dude, a I'm hustling. To trade, trade beer. <laughs> Just so funny. I'm actually trying um, to and, trade, um, beer and bourbon. Um, I got this, like, it's a multi-layered kind of like trade setup that's going to happen, uh, a couple days from now. So like a three, like a three-way trade, like I'm going to give Bob <laughs> some bourbon. Bob is going <laughs> to give some barrel aged beer to Fred and Fred is going to slide my way. Some ice cream flavored beer or some crazy shit like that. You don't know how close you are. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so um, essentially I, the person that I'm trading with is, where is hustling on some trades on the side in order to get the stuff that I want to make the trade. <laughs> I can't, I'm not making this up. There's, there's uh, two types of people that are listening right now. Three types. The ones that stopped listening because yeah. this is all ridiculous. Um, the people who are like, how does Olivia not understand that people trade beer? Yeah. And the other people that are like, why does the Rob just go buy beer and drink it? Yeah. Like you can get <laughs> you can get high life anywhere. It's the champagne of beers. Yes, Rob's got some Budweiser <laughs> with good born on dates. That is Budweiser out of business. I saw something. Oh God, no! That Budweiser's closing. No, okay. God, no, no. It is Budweiser is um is the largest. I think it's the largest beer company in the world. What did I just see? Something about millennials killed Budweiser or something along those lines. I'm trying to hold on. This might be. Oh, because millennials only drink craft beers. So craft beer is kind of um, cannibalizing um, the domestic beer. Like it's it's consistently growing its um, market share of Mm -hmm. beer versus domestic. So craft beer is taking over. So in response to that, AB AB InBev, which is um, Mm Anheuser-Busch, buys craft breweries and owns and, and operates them as their own thing, but as a as part of the bigger company. I gotcha. I found, I searched, and yeah, I saw something that popped up like like Google News Feed. Did millennials kill the king of beers? And I thought that meant, like, that that's it, they're dead. Far from it. They are just, no. Like, they'll buy. So, like, you'll have, like, Goose Island is a Chicago brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they and Anheuser-Busch at one point bought Goose Island. So... It's owned by Budweiser, um, but it kind of operates gotcha. as its own thing. Mm-hmm. But they probably paid like a billion dollars for for Goose Island. Craziness, yeah, craziness. Just for beer. All right. Now that all the the silliness and craziness <laughs> is out of the way, I would like to address one thing. Um, you know, celebrities die a lot, right? All the time. Um, and then we only we only take it seriously when it's somebody that, you know, we, we consider uh, to have been uh, very important to us personally. Right. So I think who we, what were we talking about when you had said something about Tom when you said something about Tom Petty dying? Was that I don't remember what we were talking about at some point? And I was like, Maybe. I, it's not that I don't care. You know, I recognize that Tom Petty right. is a, uh, you know, important music figure and stuff. But I feel about him like Eric Clapton. Like, I understand that he's important and very talented, but I, I couldn't care less about his music. Right. So these things come up. I am not affected very often by celebrity um, deaths. That being said, um, Jack Ketchum, Dallas, I think it's Mayor is pronounced his yeah. last name. Not sure. Yeah. Um, passed away just yesterday from when we're recording this. It's going to be a few days before you're hearing this. And I got to tell you, I was uh, I was sad, but goddamn not nearly as sad as my entire Facebook feed, because I'm apparently the only person that I'm friends with on Facebook other than you that did not know him. Right. Personally. Personally. Yeah. 
I was really bummed when you sent me that message um, yesterday. Yeah, I saw it. I can't remember exactly who I saw it from first. Uh, but then I confirmed it um, through the the Jack Ketchum Twitter, like the webmaster that mm-hmm. um, worked yep. with him. Um, so I knew it was a legit thing. And it took a little while for, for it to catch. But like within a couple hours of me messaging you, that's all you saw on social media. Uh, well, that's all we saw, I guess I should say, was um, everybody posting pictures of like the time that they met him or like one of the times that they met him or like he was the godfather to my child. Like this person was the most significant author in like everybody we know's lives. Um, yeah, and I, I'm not trying to be a dick. That's that thing that happens, right, where, like, you know, when a musician dies, suddenly everybody was a huge <laughs> right. fan of that musician. But I will say that I read so many personal stories, and it just made me all the sadder. Yeah. Um, I was very sad because I, although I, 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 I jumped on the Ketchum bandwagon kind of late, like, I read the book Red, R-E-D, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, I don't know, whatever, it was a long time ago. Um, but then right before we started doing this podcast, so probably seven or eight years ago, I, I kind of rediscovered Ketchum and I read The Girl Next Door and I read Open Season. I mean, I read probably like four or five of his books and thought, man, this guy is super fucking talented. And then, you know, I, I read into him a little bit and, you know, he's he's kind of credited for that modern, uh, like the like the breakout of modern, um, I don't know, I'm trying the like, like. I don't want to say gross horror, but you know what I mean? Like modern yeah. slasher type, like really violent horror. And um, at, at the uh, at the back of one of his books, he talks a lot about when he published his first book and stuff. And I thought he's a fascinating character. We did uh, we did try to get him on the show once. Um, he declined because we <laughs> we had asked him to be a horror expert when we were doing our intro two episodes. He basically said, guys, I'd, I'd love to do this, but I really don't read horror. Like, keep me in mind if you want to do something else. And like it like. Like all things, right? Like when is the right time um, to to invite somebody on if they're not currently pushing something or whatever. But I am sad that we never had a chance. Um, But I am even sadder for those people that had uh, a lot of uh, touching moments in their lives uh, by Dallas. And I'm going to I'm going to talk just for a second about Brian Keene. I was trying to find this um, where I saw it and I, I am unable to. But I did read that he had posted on Facebook something along the lines of he was at a horror convention many years ago. He had just gotten his first contract. He had met with a publisher and he walked into the bar at the, the convention center or whatever they were at. And he sat down and uh, I'm going to call him Jack Ketchum because I don't know him well enough to call him Dallas, I guess. Jack Ketchum is sitting there and he says, hey, what do you got? And he goes, I, I got a contract. And he's really excited. And he's trying to look at it. He goes, but I don't even have an agent. So Jack Ketchum says to him, hey, buy me buy me a drink and have the bartender get me a red pen and we're going to go over this contract. And he spent time going through the contract, crossing out all the things he didn't like, writing in what he should ask for, and then told Brian Keene that, um, here, now you never need an agent. Just always do this with your contracts. And to think that that's, you know, for someone who's an up-and-comer and stuff to have a legend take time out of their day to help you with something like that is very touching. So I I, I think that the, the horror community lost uh lost a great friend this week and it's made me terribly sad yeah and that's typical of the the types of things that i've i've been reading of of you know people on social media remembering him is just like the infinite kindness you know and thoughtfulness and and you know availability so 
You're right. We don't. I mean, we hear about a lot of stuff like um, Ursula Le Guin, you know, the day before that also passed away um, and uh, a legend. But, you know, and, and there was the outpouring of, you know, people's opinions about that the same way, but not with the personal kind of investment that we saw with the Jack Ketchum news. So, yeah, um, sucks. Sucks, dude. Indeed it does. And that's, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly how I feel about it. I know Ursula Le Guin is very important. I've never read her stuff. I'm not familiar with it. I, I think that, you know, probably the writing community lost an important person yeah. um, in, in her. But yeah, there's no, there's nothing that touched my life. And I'm not going to, you know, say, you know, Jack Ketchum's books didn't change my life or anything like that. Um, really what it comes down to is I, I saw how many lives he touched of people I know. So in a, in a lighter note, um, <laughs> one of the, my first thoughts uh, when when I heard the news about Jack Ketchum was, well, my first thought was obviously like, well, I have to tell Livius about this because I know you were going to be upset about it. But then my my next thought was like, oh, I wonder how um, I wonder how Josh Mallerman's going to take it because he and I hope you get where I'm coming from with this, but like he is so like invested heart and soul into like you know his contemporaries and, and the writers in his field. But I was like, oh, man, this is not going to go well for Josh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's a, I don't know. Is it a small community? I don't know if you can call it a small community. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it shows the outpouring of support um, felt more genuine than it does at other yeah. times. More intimate, more personal. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Way to bring it down, buddy. Well, I was talking about something beer. We should probably, yeah, we should probably mention. It's kind I'm, of a big deal. I'm gonna pour some of my traded beer out. In Get memory. that beer, man. That beer is like I don't know, it's like ten dollars an ounce or something. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> do we have? <laughs> do we have anything else else to talk about? No, we can talk about the mess that is the upcoming episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Get here's strap in. Yeah, folks, here's what we know you're going to hear, but we have no idea in what order Um, there will be a review for Chuck Wendig's The Raptor and the Wren book four, book four of the Mirror and Black series. Five. Um, Is it? No. Is it five? Okay. Yeah, it's five. Blackbird's Mockingbird, um, Cormorant, Thunderbird, and now Raptor and Wren. Big Bird. Big Bird. Big Bird. Um, All right. So I'm sorry. Apologies. Book five. Yes, book five. Uh, that is definitely coming up. There is going to be a Valentine's Day holiday episode coming up, and you could expect to hear that or see it, you know, kind of like before Valentine's Day. There's also going to be a uh, a conversation with, insert name here, because we have not solidified um, who we're having. Yeah. But I can assure you that in the coming couple of months, there will be a goodly number of them. Yeah, it's very exciting. We are, and I'm not gonna. I'm not putting too much stock in this because we got a pretty good start last year. <laughs> but um, I'm happy that we are not slacking off at the beginning of the year. That's that's how I'm gonna put it. Yeah. So we've we've already read. Um, well, well, it'll be four books after the Chuck Wendig one, right? So we're already into into that one. I mean, we both. I've finished yeah. it. You're, you're a good percentage of the way in. I can't tell you that we're going to review Queen of the Struggle. By Nick Corpin. Oh, right. Yeah, um, yeah. At some point, um, probably in early March. 
I have it on good authority that we will be reviewing One Rainy Night by Richard Lehman as a Patreon pick. So you have that to look forward to. Uh, I yeah. have that to look forward to. I went, um, I went on a spree where anybody who we know who has a book coming out, I just emailed the publisher. So like books are coming in that aren't aren't going to be released for four or five months. So yeah, I'm stocking. I'm trying to stock up. I'm trying to be proactive. Christopher Moore, who yeah. we're going to try to get on this podcast. Hell yeah! Um, I, I will tell you that I am um, not necessarily in the short term, but in the long term, I am uh, reinvigorated in putting together a hit list of people I want to get on the show. Um, and, and a lot <laughs> of that has to do with the passing of Jack Ketchum, to be quite frank. Because uh, I would hate to turn around, and I'm going to say it, and it's going to be terrible if I have, but I hate to turn around and it'd be like September and go, man, I really wish Christopher Moore wouldn't have died before we get him on the podcast. Yeah. Well, not to dip back into the Ketchum thing, but he was one of the people that was on our wish list for StokerCon, but he didn't end up attending StokerCon. So, and um, now, now I think we know why, right? Yeah. In so, retrospect, yeah. it makes sense, yeah. but like yep. he was, he was the one that I think you really had your hopes up for. I uh, yes, other than F. Paul Wilson, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just trying to break up you and F. Paul Wilson. Yeah, listen, I read F. Paul. So, <laughs> it, listen, it is the 25th of January, <laughs> and I have read three books for this podcast, and uh, two books on my own. So one of them was the new F. Paul Wilson book, The God Gene. And and you're gonna have a podcast called Booked Two, where you just yes. by yourself yes. talk about books that you read without me. You know what? I would probably have the same episodes. So, <laughs> yeah, and then I read wow. Eyes by Brian Evanson, which has kind of been on my to-be-read list. Um, I'm glad we didn't review that here on the podcast. That is one disturbing <laughs> fucking book. Yeah, yeah. So, at so, any rate, that's yeah. what's planned. That's what's coming up. Lots on the horizon. Lots to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And um, if if you if you listen so fast that you're out of episodes of booked. We got you covered because we do another podcast. In addition to all the stuff that we're doing here and all the extra episodes we're going to be throwing out, we're doing uh, a podcast called The View where uh, we are doing weekly um, conversations about um, episodes of the new season of X-Files. So if you haven't heard of it, um, go to liveazon.com. You can catch our episodes there. It's also available on um, all the different podcast um, kind of app things. And um, definitely sign up for Patreon. At, and at least a dollar, you can listen to our spoiler talk for all of the piles and piles of books that we're going to be reading in 2018. That's it for this week. Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Um, hey, give me one second. Um, uh, someone's trying to trade beer with me. Recording podcast. Boom. Sorry about that.